Released on Sunday, September 21st, 2014, This Agile Life, Episode 63, A Team of A-Holes. Our sponsor tonight is CodeShip. CodeShip is continuous delivery made simple. Try CodeShip for free. Setup only takes three minutes at CodeShip.io. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Craig Buchek. Hello, everyone from St. Louis, where Strange Loop is happening this week. Yay, Strange Loop. What is Strange Loop, Craig, for those that don't know? Uh, it is a conference for really smart programmers, is the best way I can describe it. People generally smarter than me. Wow, Craig is so full of himself. He's like, I'm going, so it must be for smart people. I'm not going. Amos King joining us also tonight. <laughs> hello, John. Hello, Craig. I'm not going to say hello to that other guy because you haven't said his name yet. Yeah, that other guy, Lee McCauley. He just stuck his tongue out at me. <laughs> Take that, Amos. Hi, guys. How's it going? Going well. I will not be going to Strange Loop because (laughs) I think they turned down my invitation. (laughs) They turned down your registration. They turned down your $500. He he was the first person to register and they still told him to shove it. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy when Strange Loop comes to town. The Ruby Group in St. Louis has uh, one of our old guests and a Strange Loop speaker, Llewellyn Falco, coming to talk on the 22nd. And if you're listening to this, it might be the 22nd, because this will be going out on the 21st. Yay! So where would we find the Ruby users group? Meetup.com slash STLRuby. And uh, we'll be meeting at 333 North Beaumont in St. Louis at 6 p.m. Central time. If you're listening to this in your car, make a turn, head down to 333 Beaumont. (laughs) And I'll give you a hug. Yay, hug. If you mention this Agile Life, I'll give you a hug. And a sticker. Which would almost be like getting a hug from Dennis the Menace, because Amos is dressed like Dennis the Menace tonight. (laughs) He said his wife bought him the shirt. Does your wife listen, Amos? Is this going to be offensive to her? No, my wife doesn't listen. Okay. It's probably better that way. Your your wife's like me. I don't listen either. (laughs) (laughs) It saved saved my work wife and my home wife. (laughs) Craig is my work wife, if anybody doesn't know. At least he's been called that in the past. Well, we could probably go on with this witty banter all night long, but maybe <laughs> maybe we should talk about some of the stuff that the people tune in for. I think that one episode we should do an hour of witty banter where we just make fun of each other. We can try that. If you guys would like to see that, go ahead and tweet us and let us know. Sure, send us a tweet at This Agile Life. Joe Barnes, you first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, tonight we're going to talk about demystifying servant leadership. I guess this was my idea, so I'll kind of kick off the topic. I think we talk a lot about this, especially in Scrum, although it certainly applies to, I think, all any aspect of agility and, uh, and even broader than that. The, the concept of servant leadership really goes back to, I, I think I had some stuff in here in the show notes about this, goes back to the 1970s when a guy named Robert Greenleaf uh, first coined the term in an essay that he wrote titled The Servant as a Leader. But servant leadership in general is, isn't new and has certainly been something that we've seen for, you know, since the dawn of, of recorded history. So one of the people that came to my mind and immediately when I, whenever I talk about or think about servant leadership is Jesus Christ, and I don't want to turn this into like a religious discussion. Uh, just stri- yeah, you'll lose. Don't worry. I know <laughs> the superstar kind. No, I was just thinking the historical version of the biblical references to Jesus Christ as a servant leader, and I guess because I think of that as I think of a couple of key things when I think of servant leadership, guys. I think of a person who is willing to do the things that they're asking others to do. If I asked Craig, hey, Craig, I want you to take out the trash for the team, I would be just as willing to do that as, you know, I I wouldn't ask anybody to do something that I myself was not prepared to do. 
And then further, I think that a person who is a servant leader tends to be humble. And I think that sometimes that can be a barrier for some people. We can maybe talk a little bit more about that. What has your guys' experience or what is your frame of reference when you go to talk about servant leadership, Craig? So I I like your example of taking out the trash because it's more like asking than telling. It's sort of like, well, I would do this, but I don't have time to do everything. So we need to spread the load. So it feels more like teamwork, you know, that the manager is part of this team that's sort of, you know, an equal and basically leads by being an equal, which is kind of an odd concept too, but I guess it's pretty much the same idea there. But to me, that management style is very effective. It makes everyone feel very comfortable and like they're just all working in the same direction. And the the big thing is that you're willing to do anything that you're asking anybody else to do. And then some. So I, I got into a conversation with Tice. I wish he was here at one point. Someone on his team, they were working and said, hey, I need batteries for the keyboard. We go get them. And he was like, what should I do? And I said, you go get them. <laughs> Unless you're actively engaged in something that's go get them their batteries. I mean, your job as a leader is, I think, to give the team every chance they have at success. And if that means you got to go get batteries for them, you go do it. Ask them what they need. That's a servant. I would actually take this one step further because I have a quibble with the word leader in servant leadership, because if you actually think and feel like you're the leader or a leader, then you're probably not being a good servant leader. Because at least for me, if I'm very much feeling the humble part of that, and and to me, if, if I ever feel like I'm the, the guy in charge, then I'm probably not doing a good job. The only reason why I disagree with that is for me, the word leader and servant leadership means that not only am I fulfilling the requests that you have, but I'm leading by anticipating those requests and bringing you what you need before you have to ask me for it. And leading by example. Yes. There is an interesting balance there with the servant side of things and with the leadership side of, of that. They seem to be in conflict or potentially could be in conflict at times. But if you start to break this down a little bit more, I look at someone who is the servant leader of a group as what I will call a force multiplier. Part of your job on or the team is is to allow them to be productive. You're you're no longer really an individual contributor if you're operating as let's say an agile coach or a scrum master. So you're probably not spending the majority of your day writing code or being an individual contributor like that. So you can't yourself directly contribute to the project. The way that you contribute though is by enabling the other people on your team to be successful. So going to get batteries, if someone's you know, battery-operated mouse or keyboard has, has died, would be a way that you can contribute. The more things that you can do to make the folks on your team effective and efficient and productive, the better off the project is. That's how you're successful, is through the enablement of the people on your team. I would also say that one thing as if you're in like a tech lead position or a lead position like that, a named position, I guess, then one of the things that uh, that I have a problem doing is asking other people on the team to do things that I hate doing. So I will end up doing them because I don't want to ask somebody else to do something that would just drive me up the wall and will. I think that's good and bad. I think it's a good thing and the team probably appreciates it. But at the same time, there are some of those tasks that can burn you out if you continue to do them all the time. And, and I've, I've seen that cause a lot of people in leadership positions to that are fantastic leaders go and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Please put me back. And I, I don't want to be a tech lead or a project manager or anything like that. I think the mere fact, Lee, that you operate that way demonstrates servant leadership because in your mind, you're saying, I don't really want to do this, but I don't just want to shunt it off to someone else because I can, therefore I'm going to do it. And so the fact that you've done that helps you build trust with the team. And if at any point in time you need to ask someone, hey, 
could you be the guy to take out the garbage today or this week? Metaphorically, of course, I mean take out the garbage as opposed to really collecting it up and taking it out. Then uh, somebody would have a really hard time saying, why should I do it? You know, you could say, hey, I've done it too. We all kind of take turns doing this. And um, I think that's at that point, that's justified. Maybe the metaphor should be uh, being the on-call person. (laughs) Yeah. For everyone. Yeah. I think one of the things that a servant leader does really well is ask questions, almost like a retrospective facilitator, is when somebody comes to you with a problem, not just try to hand them a solution, but let them grow by coming to it on their own through maybe a series of questions, which you might find out that their choices are different than yours would have been anyway, and then you learn too. Not only that, but sort of working solutions from the bottom up instead of from the top down. So if your uh, the people on your team have you know an opinion on how to do something, that you actually go and sell that up instead of the other way around. Well, and by asking the questions and getting their opinions out of them, you are building trust and a freedom for them to want to express themselves. And, and building your story to take up the management higher levels to, you know, why, why we need to do it this way, why this way is the better way. We need to discuss managing up next episode. (laughs) So I'd like to spend some time going over some of the textbook characteristics of servant leadership. But first, I'd also like to explore some of the common fallacies that I've run into when the term servant leadership has been brought up, because I think that the good part of doing this episode is that it will help provide some context to people and maybe some discussion points and talking points when they need to have conversations about servant leadership where they work. I've had managers kind of balk at the concept of servant leadership or you know, even senior leadership because I don't think that they totally understand it. And some of that comes from lack of understanding and, and lack of experience with servant leadership. In one particular consulting engagement I had, when we brought up the concept of servant leadership with the group, people in the team as well as people outside of the team actually thought that that was some sort of cop-out for uh, the Agile coach slash scrum master to actually not do any work. <laughs> Lee, that was the same response I had was, was to laugh and think, well, really quite the opposite is true because if I um, <laughs> if I'm going to be a servant leader, you know, my entire job is going to be to help find ways to clear the path and to make things a smooth road and and to help remove barriers and roadblocks. And have you guys run into any other issues or pushback or examples where someone doesn't understand or believe in the concept of servant leadership in your travels and travails? Not so much. I, I do have what I would consider a fallacy is I see a lot of people, mainly because of movies, believe that military leaders are that way, that they're not servant leaders. They're just demanding command and control, and they're really completely the opposite. Interesting. I wouldn't have expected that. It's hard to get a guy to protect you when all you've done is treat him like crap. (laughs) (laughs) One of the other things that I hear a lot is that, you know, hey, this just won't work here because we need more command and control or... It won't work here because it just won't. I've heard the commanding. Well, I haven't heard him say command and control, but those reasons were given. It was mainly a, we don't trust anybody to do anything. So we need to tell them every move to make. I think that's a really good point, Amos. That's exactly what I was thinking too, is that when I hear that, my first thought is you don't trust your people. And so you're going to put in as much process and as much structure as you can, kind of like the military so that you can maintain some minimum standard. And that's exactly what you're going to get, a minimum standard. That's interesting because that seems to be what Agile is about, is to sort of micromanage yourself, your own team, have you know self-managing the team so that the team doesn't need to be micromanaged. But so there's a very good fit there. Trying to manage what people are doing, does that make you not a servant leader? I mean, I can still tell you, I need you to do this this way. But if you say, hey, I need a pencil, I go get it for you just because. So does that make me not a servant leader? Like, where do you draw that line? I think a lot of it has to do with your history with that person. Like you said, if if I've taken out the trash and then I tell you to take out the trash, then that's probably servant leadership. But if, you know, I never take out the trash and I'm just giving you stuff to do and always telling you what to do, how to do it. 
then I'm probably not a servant leader. So I would say it a little differently. I would say that if you are a good servant leader, then the person takes out the trash because they are uh, they see that it needs to be taken out. I, I would agree. If you've been a good leader for somebody long enough, <laughs> then they, they will respond in that way. That's you don't true. have to tell them what to do any, at, at that point. Yeah, but there's always going to be a certain point where the boss is going to tell the people what to, on the team what to do. But that uh, should be as minimal as possible. And again, right. the, I, idealistically, the good servant leader is the one that is, has guided the team to such a degree that the team can manage all of those things without even realizing that the servant leader has, has kind of put those things in place or shaped it that way. Yeah, but sometimes it's coming from on high or coming from the customer, you know, several levels of management up says, hey, we need to do it this way. You know, he's already fought the fight for you and we have to do it that way. So he's going to have to tell you, okay, this is what we got to do. This is how we got to do it. That's just being a messenger. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, sort of. I think that's why it's important for a servant leader to ask questions of the team and get them to come to the conclusion that the trash needs to be taken out. And things so, like that. I think at a certain point, you've demonstrated that you're willing to take out the trash, and you've taken out the trash, and you've delegated taking out the trash. At a certain point, you've gained their trust, and when you do come and tell someone to do something, you, you've gained the trust that they don't need to ask questions, because you come there so infrequently and tell them what to do that they're not going to question it. And maybe that's, maybe that's a good parallel with the military, too. Maybe that's how they earn that respect and, and not get questioned is by having earned it. Well, they ask you what you need a lot. What do you need to get this job done that I've asked you to do? That's How can I help you get it done? But I, I think an important thing here is uh, something I actually heard from my wife about my kids is it's like a bank, right? Anytime anybody on your team asks you for something and you say yes, as often as you can, you fill that bank with yeses so that when you have to say no, it's huh. okay. I just thought you were giving your kids money. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Actually, I love giving my kids money because we live out in the middle of the country and I just never take them to the store. So they just <laughs> hoard, they hoard all of it. <laughs> to save. You know what I'd like to do is go through the 10 characteristics or the common, commonly referenced characteristics of a servant leader and uh, quickly review through those and then come back and maybe talk a little bit more about each of them. So the 10... Characteristics are listening, empathy, healing, awareness, persuasion, conceptualization, foresight, stewardship, commitment to growth of people, and number 10 is building community. And I think you can kind of wrap all of these characteristics up into maybe four kind of meta categories of fostering learning, facilitating collaboration, generating trust, and acting as the team's advocate. I think you should add one for smiling. Hmm. I don't think there's any room for smiling and servant leadership. (laughs) I think that uh, a cheerleader for your team is part of it. Maybe one of these covers that. That's what I mean by smiling. Yeah. I think you you could maybe say empathy is part of that. But listening, Amos, to your point, uh, one of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times now is asking questions. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that Asking questions is an active form of listening. It covers a lot of these things. If you're asking questions, you're listening. If you're listening, that leads to empathy, I think. I don't know how you have empathy without listening. And awareness. And foresight. (laughs) Almost everything we've mentioned is based on listening. So listening, I guess, is pretty straightforward. Listening to the people around you, keeping your ears open, or things like, for instance, in the stand-up meeting, actively listening to things as people are going through their commitments for the day, what they've accomplished, so that you can tune in on, you know, is someone having, is someone experiencing an issue? Do they have something that is blocking them from making forward progress? And they're telling me that, but they're not saying they're blocked, right? Listening and, and being very focused on what they're saying can help you as a servant leader determine that you need to help take some action or ask some more probing questions to drive further into the problem or the solution. There's one that I would put on here. I'm not sure if it might uh, fit into one that's already there, but to me, respect is a really huge one. 
that you have to respect the people you work with. Otherwise, you're not necessarily going to have as much empathy or as much desire to make them a part of the community, that sort of thing. Tell me what you mean by respect beyond just the textbook answer. Well, well, I think that you have to believe that that they are trying to do the best job that they can and respect the, the work they do, even if you might look at it and say it wasn't quite as, as good as it could be. You still have to respect the person for the job they have done until they give you some reason not to. Uh, and in most cases, everybody will, will live up to your expectations. And to me, that's that respect part. And you, you mentioned something there, that everyone will live up to your expectations. They will live up to your expectations, be they positive or negative. If Absolutely. you think that someone will fail, they are probably going to end up failing. So, so to that, me, respect is, a, is about making sure that you, internally you actually do believe that person will succeed. So that reminds me of the uh, res- retrospective prime directive, which says, regardless of what we discover, we understand and truly believe that everyone did the best job they could, given what they knew at the time, their skills and abilities, the resources available, and the situation at hand. In fact, I think I'll add that to the show notes. So I agree that I will always start from a position of, giving someone benefit of the doubt, and starting with respect. But what if over time I begin to lose respect for someone, and maybe I completely lose, lose respect for that person? I think as a servant leader, I don't need to respect the person to continue to operate as their servant leader. Well, if you don't examine your own reactions to that person and think, how can I help them? If you don't respect them, then you don't feel like you can help them or that you should be putting forth the effort. You will, you will put forth less effort to help that person become better if you don't respect them. So at that point, the best thing in my mind that you can do is either let them go or find another team where you think that they will fit. Like maybe your lack of respect for them is not a lot to do with their work but with something else and you just can't work with them because of it. Well, but if you're at that point that you're losing respect for them, it's probably time for them to not be on the team. And it might be best both for the team and for them. If they did something different, that doesn't mean that they aren't necessarily a valuable person though. Yeah. I think I owe it to them as a servant leader of the team to use empathy and healing as two of my servant leadership characteristics, empathy to understand what that person is dealing with and going through, and maybe they have something that's affecting their work, etc. And then healing to help foster that person's emotional and spiritual health and wholeness on the team. And I don't like the idea of just because someone's not doing, or because someone is not doing a good job that we should move them off of the team. I think that that's a natural reaction, is that you want to get them out of your area but I think that that's bad for the organization because that causes ripples in other places. So I think if you have a person who you're losing respect for, it's your job to try and help them get some of that respect back. And it's your job as the servant leader to do everything you can to coach them and, and uh, make sure you understand what the issues are that they're dealing with and then try and heal things from there. I was thinking we were beyond that point already, but... I agree with you there, but I also think that even after you're beyond the point where you think that you're going to fix the respect issues between yourself or the team, that's when it's time to move them. And you can still use empathy and healing to help them get to where they need to be because maybe they just don't need to be on your team. Maybe it's bad for them too. Yeah, I just want to be careful with that because I've seen in my tenure in the industry, I've seen a lot of passing of the trash where somebody's not working out on a team and I don't want them on my team anymore. So I go and my boss and I figure out a way to, to trade the person away to some other team. And that's good for no one. It's not good for the person that you move. It's not good for the team that you move them to, unless it's just something where there's a dynamic on the team that's causing the problem and the person could still be successful somewhere else. So, and, and I've had that issue i'm not going to name any names i think all of you probably know him Uh, uh, i had (laughs) had somebody on my team and we had gone down that path where respect was was not good it we we respected each other 
outside of work, but in work, it was really bad. Like our personal relationship was great. Our work relationship was not. And it was hurting the rest of the team. And it was hurting me as the leader. And I went to management and I said, look, this guy's awesome. Don't let him go. Don't shove him off on some team where you're going to relegate him to the corner where he won't be any good. But find something. Let's find something good. And I helped them find something for him. And he ended up being a team lead on two or three teams after that. So I still think that that is still servant leadership. We had the issue, but I didn't throw him away to like be fired or be put on the crap team or just move him around so that nobody really had to deal with him because nobody wanted to let him go. But instead, I got him into a position where he wanted to go anyway. That's a good story, Amos. That demonstrates servant leadership. So let's talk a little bit about some of these other characteristics. But before we do that, guys, I would like to tell you about our friends at CodeShip. CodeShip is continuous delivery made simple. CodeShip is so easy to use, you can get your project set up and building on CodeShip in as little as three minutes. If you're not using CodeShip, then you're spending more time on continuous delivery than necessary. Our good friends at CodeShip won't even ask you for a credit card to get you started. I know, I've done it. What are you waiting for? Maybe you're worried that you'll run into a problem or you'll have some trouble getting started. They won't support your language. Fear not. If you need help getting started, you'll find all the help you need on their excellent blog at blog.codeship.io. Plus, their blog has tons of interesting and helpful posts and videos. I love to go out there and just check through what the new stuff that Manny and Flo have put out there recently. And if all else fails, the good people at CodeShip are easy to reach, and they are always happy to help. Few things in life are easy, but this is one of them. Let CodeShip make continuous delivery simple for you. Go and visit codeship.io slash thisagilelife and use the offer code thisagilelife when you sign up and you'll receive a 20% discount for three months on any paid plan. Thanks to CodeShip for sponsoring This Agile Life. All right, guys, let's continue our conversation on some of these characteristics. So awareness, it's important as a leader to be self-aware. If you don't know what you're good at and what you're bad at, it, it it's sure hard to help other people. We could probably have a whole episode on how to address your own weaknesses. Yeah. Or, or 12. Uh, oh, I, I was talking about my weaknesses, not yours. Sorry, Amos. Oh, <laughs> Ow. Zing. We talked a little bit Greg's about... He's a good servant leader. <laughs> we talked about persuasion. We talked about persuasion, I think. And I would, I would want to make sure that when, you say, when we say persuasion, we really mean influence. Not coercion. Not, yes. <laughs> Thank you, or Lee. Black, or blackmail. Oh, sometimes that's fun. I mean, that's the important point. It's not coercion. It's not what you sometimes see from executive management or, or bad management, if you will, where somebody coerces you to do a certain thing just because, right? We use the example of taking out the trash as a, as a way to demonstrate that you're just as willing to do things as others. And that's a good way to help show your influence that you're there to help. I had a client tell us that if we didn't get something done in two weeks, that we had told them was going to take three to four months that they were going to drop us. So they were trying to coerce us into putting in a ton of extra hours and not charging them for it. Yeah, most definitely. It worked. Did it? (laughs) The first time. (laughs) You only get to go to that well so many times. I I had to fire that customer. Well, that kind of happened. Uh, The next characteristic that I mentioned was conceptualization the ability to integrate present realities and and future possibilities. And and I think that's an important one from having kind of a holistic vision of what's going on. If you can't help tie together some of the where you've been and where you're going for the team and have some foresight, which is the next one, then it's because it's harder for the members of the team uh, to keep some of that in their viewport because they're often very focused on individual tasks. And so one of the services that you can provide to the team is by helping with some of this conceptualization and help providing context and foresight to the team. Yes, a lot of times you will hear this uh, stated as a shared vision. The servant leader is is often the one that helps to provide that shared vision for the team. Oh, it's kind of funny that it's shared, but you provide it. 
Yeah, I, I, I kind of said that wrong. <laughs> no, I, it's accurate. It just sounds weird. Because <laughs> you, you do have to provide it, but you only, you only want to provide it to a point. Well, and then you a, want to come up with their well, own things an, to add to Here's it. an existential way to think about this. Um, if you think about it, you're really, that vision is, is kind of a meme, right? That you're kind of spewing out into the team. And the team is going to grab that, and each one of them is going to morph it into what they kind of think you're talking about and evolve it into something different. And they're going to spew it back in various times and in various ways. And the whole team is going to kind of change that vision over time into something that is closer and closer to some shared thing. Hopefully, if all is going well, if it's going badly and they're not really sharing those, then they can diverge and and different people can have completely uh, different views of where you're going. So that's kind of where... I guess the servant leader is really providing the seed of that meme, that shared vision, and, and not they don't really uh, drive the vision, though. Yes, they don't drive the vision, and I agree with you, Lee. I also strive for creating an environment where the vision becomes shared. I think what's important is that as a servant leader, you're the person that people can always rely upon or when they get confused or when you know they've they've lost the thread they've lost the meme they've forgotten the meme and they need somebody to help get them back on the tracks with what was that vision what where are we in terms of our vision and can you help me put things so, back on the rails so we're we're back to answering the needs of the team oh yeah and hopefully before anybody even has to ask and i think that's a little bit where the foresight comes in I kind of want to get on maybe a little bit of a high horse here with foresight. I think that it applies here. But in our industry, we have a tendency to say, oh, you can't learn that without doing it. So you can't gain foresight from anybody but yourself. But I really think that as a leader or anything, you need to realize that you can gain foresight by reading about other people's experiences or watching them unfold. Let me let me try and understand this. You're saying that people believe that they can't learn something until they've experienced it. Oh, all the time. And people think that they only gain foresight from their own experiences. So all this That's why we learn history in school. Yeah, all of this book reading and education is crap. Is that what you're telling me? And we should oh, all just give up our blogs. <laughs> Especially you, Amos. Well, I don't blame you for me to give up mine. I'd check probably make the world a worse place. Check out dirtyinformation.com. <laughs> I've run into a lot of people that think that too. It's it's almost like there's no such thing as intelligence in learning. You can't learn from other people's mistakes, only your own. Right, right, right. Like TDD. You can't learn TDD unless you fail at it on your own. Uh, uh, You learn faster by failing on your own, but, well, maybe not. Maybe you shortcut that and, you know, learn from other people's mistakes. To me, that's intelligence, learning from other people's mistakes. I don't know that there's any other component to it. Okay, that was a good foray off in the woods. I don't know if anybody wants to continue down that path. Here's a really big one for us, guys. Commitment to the growth of people. I think in Agile, certainly, this is huge, right? I mean, this is a big portion of what we as coaches or scrum masters like Amos should be should be doing. <laughs> this is why I do retros. This is why I do this podcast. This is why I like to pair all of this. Commitment to growth of people, including myself. I'm kind of disappointed in the definition that I've gotten for this, and I'll, I've got these in the show notes, and I kind of pasted these in from the general definitions on Wikipedia, but the commitment to the growth of people says a servant leader is responsible for serving the needs of others. And I think commitment to the growth of people goes way beyond just simply saying serving the needs of others. Needs are pretty minimal. Yeah, Maslow's. That's like the bare minimum of committing to the growth of other people is, is serving just their needs. I mean, uh-huh. You certainly have to make sure that the base level needs are met right before you can have someone progress up. What is it? Maslow's hierarchy of needs thing. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up, which, you know, self-actualization is on that hierarchy of needs. That's way at the top. Yeah, but it's still listed as a need here. Yeah. So I think a commitment to the growth of people goes back into, like Gamus said, retrospectives. It goes back into coaching simply having conversations with people on the team about the vision and about what, what do they want to do next? What would they like to work on next? And, and just being there as a mentor and, and as a servant. 
I still use this example from uh, from Amos from many many episodes ago when we talked about developer defense. Oh wow! Uh, to me, that's oh, also that's part of servant leadership. Like a year ago, I know. Is that, is that uh, the shit umbrella episode? <laughs> yes, that's the one. <laughs> shit umbrella. Oh man, I love the I love the metaphor of the shit umbrella. I actually had that down to, to discuss. I got that from the military. That's where they right. they told me it, before I got promoted. They said you're going to be a leader now. And so that means that you're a shit umbrella. <laughs> I love that metaphor. It's perfect for a company of almost any size. So the last official characteristic then, guys, is building community. That's key. You know, helping build that sense of community on the team, making sure everyone has, again, the, the respect word, has respect for the members of the team, respect for themselves, and respect for you, and just generally building a, an environment where people can come in be happy, and then enable them to get work done. Because it's very, very hard for people, for these last two in particular, the commitment to the growth of people and, and helping serve their needs, and then building community. So it's, it'd be very difficult for someone to do their job if they have needs that are unmet or if they're having issues with people on the team, right? And they don't have that sense of community. Well, I think you can build community through lots of things, talking to people and mediating their conversation sometimes if it's heated to hey let's go have dinner together as a team let's head to a movie night those things really help a lot in building a team and then as a servant leader you organize the movie night you make the popcorn you get it all ready when everybody shows up Greg, it so sounded I, like I, you wanted to say something there yeah i'd like to build on that a little something that i've seen as a uh, characteristic of servant leadership and that is growing everyone on the team into a leader. And that sounds weird that everyone on the team could be a leader, but what I've been on a team, it's an Amos is an I dream team, the team that we are always hoping we can rebuild yeah, something like it. On it. You know who you are. Yeah. And yeah. Point back. <laughs> so we got to a point where pretty much everyone on that team was a leader. And that kind of doesn't work unless you're all servant leaders. You know, you, you step up when necessary and you lead when necessary, when you've got, um, you know, the best abilities or no one else or desire or when no one else wants to, to step up, you know, someone would always step up pretty much on that team at one point or another and take a leadership role. And it so, was, it was amazing. So maybe we should go back to those fallacies and say that uh, I've heard many times, like you can't have two leaders on a team because you'll have two visions or two problems. It's not true. As long as you can have a cohesive team full of servant leaders. And the key to that is that none of them think they're the leader, but they all just do it. Another fallacy that I've heard that goes along with this one is that you don't want a team full of A players because uh, all they'll do is butt heads all the time. Yeah, completely I think you not don't, true. I think you don't want a team full of A holes. <laughs> oh, Greg heard that maybe. But, but I completely misunderstood. Uh huh. Now, I will say that I appreciate having on the team at least one person who is newer because their questions a lot of times make you think about the reasons why you do what you do and cause you to learn more just by answering their questions. I like it because they slow you down and make you rethink sometimes. So we have a, uh, you've probably heard the term of having a rubber ducky when sometimes you're describing your problem to somebody else and just in the description you figure out what the answer is, what the solution is. And at that moment, those people are just being your rubber ducky, right, for you to talk to. So I actually bought a big rubber duck, and we have that in our, in our team area now. I think sometimes, but other times it's just like you're, you might be typing something in, and they're like, hey, why do you snake case your variables instead of camel casing or something like that? And they make you, even, even that simple, makes you rethink, why am I doing this in this situation? How am I communicating? That's one of the that's things. the right way it's done, damn it. <laughs> and sometimes that's the answer. <laughs> because I said so. That's one of the reasons that I love teaching so much is because to teach something really challenges you and makes you have to learn it even better because you get those questions that you never thought of and then you're like, oh, well, yeah. Um, huh. <laughs> and, and it's okay to say, question. I don't know. That oh, makes yeah. me question everything. 
There's a great quote from Richard Bach from uh, uh, one of his books that says, you teach best what you most need to learn. Yes. Nice. I'm, I'm going to use something from Brian Button now that I think everybody needs to get out there and teach because Brian says the only thing that you need to know in order to teach somebody is slightly more than they know. So every one of us should be out there teaching other people something new. And they're done that. As long as you're willing to look like an idiot. It's okay to say, I don't yep. know. Let's look that up together. I don't know if idiot's the right word, but to not know things is, is perfectly fine. Ignorant. And, and sometimes, sometimes that can be a really nice tool for a certain leader is, is to be the idiot on the team that everybody else has to explain things to. Way to bring that back around. Good job. Speaking of idiots, John. Oh, man. to me. <laughs> idiot. Thanks, Amos. Sorry, John. I don't really think that. I just saw you quiet and smiling there the whole time, so I thought you had something to say. Oh, I always have something to say. We must be related. <laughs> You're my brother from another mother. Welcome to the 90s. <laughs> so any other characteristics that uh, you guys thought of along the way that we can add into the pool of shared knowledge for the characteristics of servant leadership? We talked about trust. We talked about respect, facilitating collaboration. I think we didn't, that was in there somewhere. I don't know if it's in there, but passion. And I don't see anything that I think meets passion in what we've talked about. Passion is always good. But again, I I would challenge, do I have to have passion to be a servant leader? What would you say to a servant leader that didn't act with passion? You probably do have to have some passion for what you're doing or else you're not going to be good at anything that you don't have some passion for. Can you have commitment without having passion to what you're committing to? I don't think so. Well, at least not a strong commitment. And who wants to work for somebody who doesn't have a strong commitment to success or to the team or to something, at least? I don't want to work for a guy that lives in the gray area. I want to work for some girl who knows what needs to be done and is going after it. So I think there are some situations. I mean, everyone doesn't love their job, right? But some people love what their job gives them, the ability, the freedom to do other things. So I think it's possible, but you have to have a different sort of viewpoint than certainly than I do. Yeah, because what if I'm passionate about, I don't know, hiking or something like that's my passion, right? That's what I, I just want to spend all of my time hiking, but it just so happens that I'm good at the job that I do and I'm good at being a servant leader, but it's not what I'm passionate about. You have to have some level of passion to be good at it. I'm not saying it's like the number one passion in your life. I'm a horrible father, but I, my number one passion is my children. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably yeah. some people like, who think they like that. I don't know. It, it's hard for me to put this into context and to so, imagine this situation because I'm so passionate about what I do that I have a hard yeah. time distinguishing between you know, work so, and my home life sometimes. So, so two things about your hiking example. One, there are people that t- will tell you, if you're that passionate about hiking, then go find a way to make money at it. You know, you could lead people on hikes, you know, a, a, a trail guide. It's you take thing. rich people to Machu Picchu. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another possibility is that, you know, you don't just have passion for one thing. That might be your biggest passion, but maybe you have a, also have a, a lesser passion for agile methods for programming. So, you know, that's my other answer for that. I certainly think that most servant leaders probably have passion for what they are doing, but in terms of it being a characteristic to be successful or something that you would embody as a, an example of a servant leader, uh, I'm not necessarily certain that it you 100% have to have it. So, so what's the opposite of passion? And would somebody that's like that be a good servant leader? The opposite of passion? Hate? Apathy. Apathy. See, and that's what I was saying. I don't want somebody yeah. who lives in the gray area. Somebody who's apathetic. Well, that's know. not a gray area. That's the it's, opposite. Well, it's, it's the opposite hate or is it apathy? I, uh, so uh, I think apathy is in the middle. Hate could right? be hate is a passion. Hate. Hate yeah. is a passion, actually. Yes, it is. It's just a passion for the opposite. I think we're overanalyzing this like a bunch of. <laughs> All right, we're overanalyzing this like a bunch of IT nerds. Let's, let's move on. Geek. <laughs> <laughs> I put together a kind of a list of 
some suggestions for improving your servant leadership, but I don't want to glance over an opportunity for uh, maybe a story from Craig that he's referencing here in our show notes. Um, so we talked about collaboration, and uh, it calls to mind a story that my brother told me about my dad. Uh, my dad was a construction worker before he retired, and I never got to work with him, but one of my brothers did. And uh, my brother told me about how my dad worked. My dad was a foreman uh, as a construction worker. And the most interesting thing he said was that dad is like a choreographer. He coordinates all the, these people, you know, moving sheet metal around, making sure that each piece gets to the right place at the right time. And he was, he was definitely a good example of a servant leader. He would always, you know, be one of the four people on every piece of sheet metal. But at the same time, he was also choreographing, uh, making sure that everything ran smoothly. And, and that was a great example to me. Wait, are you saying that he could tell some other people to go do something, but he would be sitting there with a hammer working too? Uh, he wasn't just a hammer. He was picking stuff up and moving stuff around. I, I'm just saying that's serving leader. That's awesome. Yep. I've got that sort of same work ethic that if I'm going to be a leader, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not doing myself. Yeah, I, I think of that, and I think that's a great story, Craig. And and I think of maybe what you're, one of the things that your dad was doing is maybe more of sort of an advanced technique of servant leadership where he was knocking out, helping knock out some of the more menial tasks, right? Moving stuff around or uh, helping pick things up and lift them and put them into place while he could let the guys that are really good at need to work on the other side of it, the more technical tasks like shaping the whatever it is that they're working on. I don't know that much about construction, right? But so for a team of software developers, if there's menial stuff that I can help do and knock out for the team to enable the members of the team to focus on what they're really good at building quality software, then those are the, the sorts of things that I want to do to help be that force multiplier for the team. Yeah, Like, getting, but- like getting them batteries. <laughs> Did you have so- your hand up that whole time just to say mm-hmm. getting batteries? No, I was actually going to add more to it, but then Craig wanted to talk, so I thought I would let him go. Oh. No, no, actually, it wasn't just the menial tasks. It was pretty much all the tasks that my dad would chip in with. I mean, he was just a part of the team, but also coordinating the rest of the team. That's cool. So after all of this, can you be a servant leader on a technical team and not be a technical person? Yes. Probably. I got a yes and a probably, and Lee's can we, just... Can we get a maybe? I think the answer is yes. I think that it helps to be a technical person in some of these situations, but it's not at all required. You don't get the ability to always say, you know, I would be able to do this myself if I had the time or whatever, which I think is a, an important aspect, but not, not necessarily essential. I think you can be a great servant leader by getting batteries and water for the team, like, you know, meeting their needs so they can continue to move forward on getting the work done. Being the shit umbrella, definitely. Yes. So there are degrees here to which you may be an effective servant leader, and you might be very effective if you're not technical, or you know you may be um, you know sort of in the middle somewhere. But there are ways that you could be more effective and and of course less effective as a servant leader. But I think if you have any sort of experience or track record or history doing the things that people on your team are doing that gives you a leg up for empathy understanding what they're dealing with and what they're going through you know awareness of what's going on stewardship to help take care of things that need taken care of without somebody having to point out to you hey i'm i need some help here because the more you know about what's going on the more things you as a servant leader can do to anticipate needs so that by the time the team gets there, or by the time something becomes an issue, you've already stepped in and started the ball rolling to try and help them out along the way. So I, I say, yes, you can be a servant leader without, without having a great deal of depth of knowledge of what it is that you're doing, but you could maybe be a better one if you know a lot about it. So I think that that's uh, one suggestion for a way to improve is to learn more about what it is that your team is doing, what they're building, how they're building it, the tools that they're using, etc. I have a list here of some other things that I think can help improve. One, one quick point about that. And, yeah. and I thought about what does it take to be a CIO or a CTO? And I think the answer is either knowing all the technology, you know, knowing all these things that you need to know about IT and technology, or knowing who to trust on those questions. So I think either way can work. But 
I think the trust might be harder to come by. I think the trust is the only way you can keep it up for the long term. If uh, you might have some point when you first become a CTO that you know the technologies of the day, but you're going to quickly lose those. It'll get beyond you. So you've got to know who to trust and they have to trust you. Excellent point. So I think if you're a servant leader, you need to get comfortable with humility. I think maybe that's one of the things that is most challenging for organizations and for people that are transitioning into a role where they need to act as a servant leader is that it can be hard to be humble at times, but it's very important to not be the guy that wants to stand up and take all the credit, you know, to uh, delegate the tasks and things that you don't want to do off to other people. So get comfortable with humility. So I had one other thing I wanted to add on to uh, the, the previous conversation is that uh, when you've got a servant leader that's uh, technical, you might want to make sure that you understand all the rest of your team as well. Don't ignore your UI and your UX people. Don't ignore your QAs. Don't ignore your technical writers. These are people that do their jobs and are very good at them and may have different priorities than you. Understand where those priorities are coming from and make sure that you trust them with their job just as much as you trust the devs. We're kind of biased here because we're all devs. Right. But uh, I mean, I've done a number of things. So I try and empathize, if you will, with people that are in the other roles. You know, it's always been harder for me to empathize with testers, with QA, QEs, whatever you, you guys call them. But it's always been a challenge, but it's always something that I really strive for is empathizing with what they have to deal with in their roles. So just a few other suggestions. Make service to your team your priority. Ensure that everyone's base needs are met on the team. You know, chairs, computers. I mean, sometimes those things are overlooked, right? And somebody shows up for their first day at work and they don't have a chair, they don't have a computer, and it's just downhill from there. And remember that your value to the team comes from what those around you are actually producing. So find ways to help them be more effective. I could just stop it. Find more ways to help them. Done. Take it. Yeah. And when you're acting as the shit umbrella and shit stops falling and the sun comes out, put the umbrella down and let them get some sunshine. <laughs> and is fact, there a musical involved? I'm sure there was a song coming out there someplace. I, I put your shit umbrella down, let the sunshine rain. There's another phrase, something like, like uh, when things go right, you know, take less of the praise. And when things go wrong, take more of the blame. Did you say when things go Right, take lefts in the parade. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know how that applies, Craig. <laughs> lefts in the parade, huh? I think he said less of the praise. Oh, it sounded like lefts in the parade to me. I don't know. We need to get your ears checked. Maybe. I have the worst headphones in the world. I like that, though. I like that saying, take less of the praise and more of the blame. I think that's hard for people to to accept, right? That's the humility thing. They don't want to take the blame. They want to take the praise rather than I let the praise pass through and let the I'm pretty sure I blame stole that with you. I'm pretty sure I stole that from Amos. He probably phrased it differently though. When he stole it from someone that. else as well. True. True. More than likely. Yeah. Everything worth saying has already been said. <laughs> That's for sure. And probably by Plato a million years ago. Probably. So, guys, any final words on servant leadership before we wrap this discussion up today? Servant leadership, it's awesome. <laughs> well, if you say so, Amos. <laughs> Shh. Nobody? Nothing? Sounds like that's a wrap. Yeah. We'll include a lot of the links to some of the things that we discussed tonight. The essay from Robert Greenleaf, uh, The Servant as a Leader. This individual went on, Robert Greenleaf went on to write a number of books about the same subject. Also, we'll include the list of characteristics, including the ones that we added. And you guys can reference all of this in the show note as you're experiencing and looking into more and more about servant leadership. This week's Hottest Picks. Okay, we'll do this week's Hottest Picks. Lee, you're up first. Okay, I have a couple of picks that are related to the servant leadership discussion. One is a great 
a little, I guess it was a blog post uh, by uh, Patty Mandarino. I hope I got her last name right. Uh, but it's Leadership in an Agile Environment. You'll see the, the link down. She has a, a great discussion over about a lot of these topics that we were just talking about. Um, there's also a, a nice white paper. It's on servant leadership by uh, Gent Garboskis out at uh, agilealliance.org website. Uh, so we'll have a link for that one too. Hey, I used to work with that guy. I heard. Yeah. Good picks, Lee. Uh, my picks tonight are not agile in nature. So I just, things that I wanted to point out to people. I wear glasses and I don't enjoy the experience of wearing glasses, but I have far too often left contacts in for days in a row when you're really not supposed to do that. Don't anybody tell my wife or anything. Shh, I won't. Right. Does she listen? Uh, no. Perfect. We're safe. Blackmail. <laughs> so I needed to get a pair of glasses, and I hate going to the optometry place and having them show you glasses. So I found these guys, Warby Parker. Um, you can go check all of the frames that they have, and you can pick out five different frames. They will deliver those frames to your house for a trial period, and you can try them on right there. And what I, I did a little fashion show with the family with all the frames that I got. They're like, oh, that's horrible, and that's horrible. And okay, that well, let's go with that one, Dad. I did that. Check them out, warbyparker.com. Also, a friend of mine, Chad Etzel, he recently released a new game for the iPhone. It's called Points the Game. And if you've ever played Cow Clicker, uh, which is it's kind of famous in the internet. This is a this is a lot like cow clicker, but for the iPhone or iPad. So help my friend Chad out. Download his game. Points the game. I've got the link in the show notes. It's real simple to play. And and if you want to challenge me, get on there and and challenge me, and we'll see who can click the most points. All right, Craig, what's your picks tonight? All right, my first pick is a list of cognitive biases. Probably the canonical complete list that. Uh, we're aware of. Uh, it's got to be like at least 100 long. It's, it's on Wikipedia. So it's got uh, the name of each one and a short description. So things like the IKEA effect, which says that if you build something yourself, you're going to value it more. Um, the hot like hand fallacy. <laughs> the hot hand fallacy that says, you know, if you've got some luck now, then you're going to have some luck soon. Uh, your, your luck is going to continue. Uh, one of the things that made me think of this is I was listening to a previous episode. Uh, I don't remember which one. I don't remember even if I was on it or not. But Jason Tice mentioned the the sunk cost. He's like, well, you should keep doing it because you've already got a sunk cost. And I'm like, wait, that's the sunk cost fallacy. Don't keep doing it. So that's listed in here. And actually, its its technical name is the irrational escalation fallacy. My second pick is a blog article called Trash Your Servers and Burn Your Code. Uh, And it talks about immutable architecture or immutable infrastructure, which basically is every time you deploy create a new server, a new server image, a new VM. Because if you don't, you're probably going to have Snowflake servers, which basically you've gone in and you've made some sort of update. But if it crashes and you need to rebuild it, you're not going to have it. So basically make your infrastructure deployable just like your code. That's it for me. I just want to give the definition of a Snowflake server. It's a server that's beautiful and unique. And you can't reproduce it. <laughs> Thanks. That that was definitely a good call on uh, defining that. I'm going to tack a pick on to that, Craig, because our good friends over at CodeShip, Flo Motlick, he actually did a series of posts on uh, the CodeShip workflow to create immutable infrastructures. Cool. And I have been the on the unfortunate end of many a snowflake environment, <laughs> and they are just the worst. Any admin or developer probably has. Nothing can kill your your regular deployments more quickly than Snowflake servers. Okay, Amos, uh, what are your picks? Well, I'm, I just added one, Docker, for building Snowflakeless servers. <laughs> no, my, my real pick is for this episode, I thought this was a really good book to give you some ideas of servant leadership. I read this book when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, so it's been a while. Um, but it, I thought it might still be relevant since on Amazon it had 2,000 reviews and 4.5 stars. More than 2,000 reviews. It's How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. So, so interestingly, when I was reading that, he's talking about uh, something about Forest Park. I'm like, wait a minute, what? I'm like, was he from St. Louis? He, he was actually from St. Louis. 
Oh, I had no idea. I got to call bullshit on the fact that Amos read this when he was seven or eight years old. <laughs> I said seventh or eighth grade, didn't I? No. I meant seventh or eighth grade. Well, I've <laughs> got to b- call bullshit on that, too. There's no way well, you read that in seventh or eighth grade. My dad gave it to me and told me I should read it. Amos is pretty young. That was like five years ago, I think. And you still, <laughs> and you still don't have any friends. Uh, oh. that's, that's <laughs> but he can influence people. Yeah. Well, and, and he did write this book in 1936, so it doesn't say get onto a podcast so you can influence <laughs> people. That's unfortunate. It actually has real world advice instead of here's how you throw some crap out there because somebody will listen to it. I mean, we have this fantastic <laughs> podcast that I love being a part of. Mm-hmm. We'll see how long that continues. <laughs> Are you kicking me out? No. Oh. All right, everyone. That's all we have time for today. Check out thisagilelife.com for these show notes. And for more episodes like this with our witty banter and conversation and talk of agility. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. We love you. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.